0: Hey, welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. This is Josh Howerson, our senior pastor. Let me fill you in on something that's happening in the life of our church right now. We're in the middle of a season that we're calling No More Fatherless at our church, where we're embracing and pressing towards a call to do four things, to plant 20 churches in Central and South America, to set up an adoption fund that'll help the next 50 families in our church adopt children, to pay off the mortgage of a crisis pregnancy center that's gonna enable them to save 200 unborn lives per year, And then to do what needs to be done to expand our Spring Hill location that's currently running five services that will set us up to reach 10,000 people for Christ in the coming years. If you, as part of the extended family of our church, would be interested in contributing to what God is doing here, you can just visit nomorefatherless.com and get more information about what's happening and how to give. That being said, let's get you to the podcast. All right, well, good morning, Bridge family. And uh, hey, as you can see, we got a couple new toys. I'm gonna explain those here in just a second. Uh, But man, while you're turning, we're in Mark 4 today. If you got your Bibles, head over to Mark 4. Um, While you're turning there, man, we need to celebrate something um, as a church. We never wanna stop celebrating this. So so I'm gonna say, listen, I'm gonna say three things and you're gonna wanna clap for all of them. Wait till the third and we'll just do all of our celebrating at once, okay? So last week in uh, Across Our Five Services, um, 64 people, uh, gave their lives to Christ in one week last week. Now you gotta hang on, hang on, hang on. I saw that. I saw you. You almost clapped right over there. Uh, so, so that's one. That was amazing. Um, that happened in the same week that we baptized 17 new brothers and sisters in Christ in those services. I saw you over there. No clapping yet. Okay. And, uh, but hey, listen, so here's, you can clap after I say this. Here's, here's what stirred my heart. Um, The missionary family that we just finished sending and commissioning and sponsoring uh, through our No More Fatherless initiative, unbeknownst to us, they were in South America having their own baptism service on the same Sunday that we were. And while we were baptizing 17 new Christians, they were baptizing 12. Come on, right there. That's it, man. Come on, man. That's that's incredible. So, dude, we just want to... Uh, just absolutely praise Christ for the work of the gospel among the nations and, uh, golly, just absolutely overwhelmed by that. Now, let me explain a couple things. We have some new toys going on today. I'll get to this in a second. Uh, one thing that's happening today, this is going to be especially helpful for people who end up behind the poles, like my precious little wife over here. Uh, this is, uh, we, obviously we are right now laying all the groundwork for our Columbia campus plant that's coming up at the beginning of uh, of 2018. And we are super excited about that. Um, obviously, what we're doing there is the, there's going to be a feed of the service here into the Columbia, the teaching portion of the service, into the Columbia plant. And so we've had to get all that audiovisual uh, technology ready, and now it's ready. And uh, we want to just start using that in our services, to just help help people, especially in the back, that kind of thing. And so on the count of three, can you please help me welcome in the technology that will make the Columbia campus possible one two three boom man golly just three times the handsome you know three there it is right there and here's what this guy is well this is my new little toy right here what this is is honestly this will help me uh show and teach the bible uh in a way that i haven't been able to until now so what i got here is it's like an on stage little touch screen it's fun someday you can come here and play with it sometime after a service touch it once and I just advance it forward so I can show you things like Bible verses here and point to little words and all that cool stuff. Uh, You know, I like charts. You know, I love charts. So if I want to stick a chart up there, then I can just, boom, there's a little chart. I can do that. from an old sermon. Well, let's see what else is on here. Oh, how did that get on there? (laughs) Where where did that come from? Let's definitely get that off there. Oh man. Look at these shorts right here. And then let's get to something far more serious. Oh, wait, that's Matt without a beard. That's Pastor Matt minus beard. So there it is. I was really excited to do that today. And uh, so we've got that. That'll that'll just be available right there. Wasn't that amazing? We just been excited about that. Well, here's where we are today. We are uh, in the second week of a series that we're just calling He Shall Be Called. He shall be called. It comes from Isaiah 9, 6. Where it says about Jesus that of His government and power there will be uh, it, it will always increase, and then it says and His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so each week of the series, what we're doing is we're focusing in on one of those names or titles of Jesus. And today uh, the one we're getting to is Mighty God. And right now you may be going, man. Mighty God, it's a little more theological, a little more heady. How does it actually affect my real life? Well, it affects your life tremendously. And let me explain why that is. Um, I'm getting ready to preach a passage about Jesus calming a storm. And uh, it doesn't take a a Bible scholar to figure out. We're probably going to talk about Jesus calming the storms of our life. Um, But here's what I want to say. In Mark 4, what it tells us, I'm going to read it here in a second. In Mark 4, what it tells us is that there was a storm that came upon Jesus and his disciples, it says, suddenly. It says the storm came suddenly. Now, there's a reason for that because of all the geography of Galilee where Jesus was. But let me just point this out to you. Uh, What you are going to notice is that the storms that come into your life, they come extremely, extremely suddenly. And they're often extremely unexpected. Uh, So first of all, some of you here, these are stories I've heard in our church in the last month. Uh, Some of you here, this was your best year yet. Uh, You're having your best sales year you've ever had, higher income and commissions than you've ever had. And then all of a sudden, you got news uh, that your company was downsizing. And you were the new person, uh, and so you knew that your name was going to be on the list. And out of nowhere, that came out of nowhere, and the storm came suddenly. Uh, For some of you, this is the year where, man, you'd say... Our marriage was as good as it's ever been. This was the year we felt like, man, finally smooth sailing. And then just uh, two months ago, you walked into a doctor's office and you got news about your wife's health that's unexpected. And all of a sudden, bam, out of nowhere, the storm, it came extremely suddenly. Uh, or for parents, uh, I heard somebody wives one time tell me, Josh... After you become a parent, you'll only be as happy as your saddest child from now on. And for some of you, here's here's your story of this year. Uh, You thought your child was doing amazing. Uh, It seemed like they were walking with God and your family had a harmony that it had not had before. Um, And then one day in the last few months, you found out the truth about what's really been going on and what was happening behind the scenes. And, uh, And now, bam, out of nowhere, suddenly. I'll do one last one. Um, <clears throat> some of you here, you really wrestle with depression. And, uh, and this has been the year where it's like, man, things are better than they've ever been before. I think that I've finally gotten over it. And then the holiday season comes and out of nowhere, bam, storm comes. Well, here's what you need. When a storm comes suddenly, what you need is a mighty God. That's what you need. You need a mighty God. And so let's get into this passage. I want you to see this. There's so much here, okay? So Mark chapter four, here's a story. Let me read it to you on our newfangled screen here. Mark chapter four, here we go. It says, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in a boat just as he was. And other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he, Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. I'm going to point out a couple things here. And they woke him and said to him, "'Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing?' Now, let me just say this. This is the question that you have asked a thousand times. Let me, sometimes you can read the Bible and it's very impersonal. Let me personalize this for a second. For some of you, here's what you're saying. You're shaking your fist at heaven right now and you're saying, "'Teacher, do you not care that my marriage is falling apart? "'Teacher, do you not care that my child is prodigal? "'Teacher, do you not care?' that my bank account is slowly dwindling. Teacher, do you not care that depression came back this month? Teacher, do you not care that we can't have a baby and we've been praying for five or six years? Teacher, do you not care that we're unexpectedly pregnant and we can't afford the kids kids that we have? Teacher, do you not care, okay? That's their question, that we are perishing. And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with, now I want to point this out. I'm coming back to this. They were filled with great fear. Now I just want you to notice this. Did you notice they had fear when there was a hurricane? But after Jesus calms it, they've got great fear. That's very interesting. And said to one another, who then is this, that even the wind And the sea obey him. Okay? Now that's what I want to talk about today. Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Really quick, here, I need to start here for you Bible nerds, you're going to love this. What this passage does is it is a perfect, what theologians call, Christology. Now, some of you are like, Josh, why do you got to use the word Christology? I don't even know what that means. Here, so here's what I always say. I say the same thing. If you can learn the language to order at Starbucks, I can use theological language in the church, okay? If you can figure out what a unicorn frappuccino is, you can figure out what Christology is, okay? What you have here is a perfect Christology of Jesus. This passage, it clearly points out both, listen, listen, it points out both Jesus' humanity and Jesus' deity, the fact that he's sleeping, the fact that Jesus is asleep in a boat, in a boat, in a hurricane, it shows that he's exhausted. That points to the very real humanity of Jesus. And some of you just need to grasp this. Do you understand how very viscerally human Jesus was? So just, just put this in your head. Jesus was a dude. Uh, Jesus got tired. When Jesus was a baby, he pooped in his diapers, uh, Jesus, as he grew, the Bible tells us he grew in wisdom and knowledge. Do you, do you realize this? Jesus learned stuff as he was growing older. Uh, Jesus couldn't lick his own elbow. Okay, you know he was a human. So, I, so I'm, I'm going to see it later in the sermon. You're going to try to sneak it. Couldn't lick his own elbow. Jesus got hangry. He got hangry, but in his hanger, he did not sin. So all of this, Jesus was very real. He was a human. Okay, but so his sleeping shows his humanity. But the calming of the storm, it shows his deity. Now, right here, some of you guys right now, you're like, wait a second, Josh. How does Jesus calming the storm, how does that show his deity? Didn't Christians 300 years after the New Testament sort of make up the deity of Jesus? Okay, fine. Well, let me ask you this question. Why does a hurricane listen to Jesus when he issues a command? Um, Have you ever thought about this? How did God create the world in Genesis 1? Remember, in Genesis 1, what's he do? He uses his voice. Uh, There was a time in eternity past where the voice of God boomed out and said, let there be light, and photons obeyed. Uh, There was a time where God said, and let there be an expanse in the midst of the sea, and mountains said, yes, sir. Um, And then in Genesis, uh, the end of Genesis 1, there was a time when when the Lord said, "Um, let us make man in our own image, and proteins obeyed him and fused together. Now, you fast forward to Mark 4, and Jesus, think about this, he creeps up to the edge of a boat, and with a little anger in his voice, he looks out at a hurricane and he says, Peace be still. And in that moment, a hurricane stopped and it said, I recognize that voice. And what happened in that moment is it recognized the voice of its maker. You see that? Um, Yeah, I pointed this out earlier, that when the hurricane was there, the disciples had fear. When Jesus calmed the storm, they had great fear. Do you know why? It was in exactly this moment that they realized that Jesus was not just from God or like God, but that he was God. And that was terrifying to them, more terrifying than a hurricane. Now listen, what you've got to understand is that when a storm comes into your life, if you do not grasp simultaneously both the humanity and the deity of Jesus. You're not going to make it. Let me show you how this works, okay? So you've got his humanity and you've got his deity. The fact that he's sleeping shows his humanity. The fact that he's calming, it shows his deity. Uh, his humanity means that he knows how you feel. His deity means that he can actually do something about it. Uh, his humanity what that does is it produces, intimacy. it produces intimacy in us. Do you realize that Jesus can look at literally anything that comes into your life and he can with a genuineness say, I understand how you feel. And his deity produces an awe, a type of healthy fear. Now, let me press in as your pastor. Let me press in as your pastor for a second. You probably, depending on what spiritual background you come from, you probably grasp one of these far better than you grasp the other. So so here's how this works. Some of you grew up in extremely angry legalistic churches that produce this view in you of a high, distant, angry judge God. And what's happened in you is you grasp his deity, but not his humanity. That's what happens in you. So what that does is that produces awe, but no intimacy. Now, that's, that's that's a few of you. What is far more common in our culture is for us to grasp his humanity, but not to fully grasp his deity. And here's what happens when that happens, okay? If you do that, you're going to have intimacy, but no awe. So think about this. Here's, here's how this works for us. For us, what happens is when we think about Jesus, we think about Jesus in our culture. Uh, we think about Jesus is how do we, what do we say? Jesus is my homeboy, right? Uh, Jesus is my pal, Uh, The Matt Damon movie that came out when I was in college, Dogma, they produced the buddy Christ, right? Jesus is low, he's small, he just sort of winks and smiles at whatever we do. Well, listen, what we see in the Bible is that truly knowing Jesus produces both an intimacy and a healthy fear. Now, to, to press this home, I want you to understand this a fear of Jesus. Think about how this worked in the life of the Apostle John. Okay, we know that the Apostle John was more intimate with Jesus than maybe any of the other disciples. Have you ever noticed this? Have you ever noticed that the Gospel of John? John never says his own name. He just inserts the phrase, the one whom Jesus loved. Little arrogant right? He said, man, the one, I'm going to start putting that on my email signature, by the way, Josh Howerton, lead pastor, the one whom Jesus loves. That, that's what I always say. He's very intimate. Uh, I'll do you another one. Have you ever noticed? We know from the, the gospel, the, the gospel account in John, that during the last supper, John was reclining his head against the chest of Jesus. Now listen, I don't have very many friends that do that when we eat meals together. And by not very many, I mean not any, but John and Jesus had an incredibly intimate relationship. So Let's think about this. In the book of Revelation, John sees Jesus for the first time since they walked together on earth. Knowing how intimate they were, how do you think their reunion went? Do you think that uh, John slapped Jesus a big high five? Did he just run up to Jesus and say, Jesus, come in for the bear hug? Uh, Did he give Jesus a quick fist bump? What do you think their reunion was like? Let me show you. Let me read it to you. This is what happened. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. That is the type of awe and healthy fear that truly knowing Jesus produces in us. So listen, let me press this into your life really quick. Why are you, this, this right here is why you might be so casual and unmotivated in your obedience. You have never seen Jesus as mighty God. Here's what we say. We say things like, man, a small obedience just isn't a big deal. I'll get serious about obeying him later. I prefer my sexual preferences to his will. Listen to me, guys. Guys, hurricanes obey him. Who are we to not obey him? More trembling and a little less casual swaying might be good for our worship gatherings. Do you understand what I'm saying? Knowing Jesus produces a healthy fear in us that is in awe of his lordship. Now listen, if you do not understand this, it is exactly forgetting the hugeness and the power of Jesus that produces fear in our life when storms come. Let me show you how this works. Have you ever noticed in this passage? Look down at the passage. Have you ever noticed that when Jesus wakes up, he seems, there's a, it seems like there's a bit of an edge to Jesus? Uh, why are you so afraid? And then he calms it, and then he looks back at them and says, man, do you guys still not have any faith? Well, th- Think about this for a second. Where do you think that Jesus' anger and edge comes from in this passage? Uh, by the way, it wasn't just because he got woken up from a nap. Uh, but there is nothing worse than being woken up from a nap especially in this passage they wake him up with a stupid question everybody knows what it's like to be woken up with a stupid question uh not not the, this so here's my favorite one uh hey are you asleep okay it's like man i want to wake up and punch him and say hey man are you bleeding oh i thought this was stupid questions hour you know whatever, whatever but jesus when he wakes up why do you think when jesus wakes up from his nap that he's got an edge to him do you know why He was not angry because they woke him up. He was angry because they asked him, do you not care? Do you not care? Okay, what he's saying here, here's what he's doing. What he's saying here is he's saying, do you understand where your fear is coming from? What you have to understand is that you, whatever you have in your life, your fear is coming from one of two places. Listen, it's come from one of two places. Either you are doubting God's power over the storm or you are doubting God's commitment to you in the storm. Those are the only two places that your fear can possibly come from. Doubting God's power over or doubting his commitment in. Now listen, okay? Doubting his power over. Let me just say this really quick. We believe a lot of things that seem insane to people who are not Christians. If you are a Bible-believing Christian like me, believes this thing cover to cover, word for word, all the way, I want you to think about some of the insane things you believe. You believe that God created man out of dirt. You believe that he took a rib out of a dude and turned it into a naked woman. And then the man woke up, saw his naked wife, started singing a song. That totally makes sense to me. He says, whoa, man, all that stuff. Believe all that stuff. Talking snakes, everything. Jonah, you believe the story of Jonah. People think that's insane. Uh, one, of my, one of my favorite little stories. Uh, there's a teacher with a student who is a Christian in their class. And the teacher uh, knew this, and the teacher said, hey, man, you understand that Jonah isn't real. How could a fish swallow a person? And the student said, well, I don't know. When I get to heaven, I'll ask him. And the teacher just sarcastically just said, well, what if Jonah isn't in heaven? And the, the student said, well, then you can ask him. <laughs> you see, so this, so listen, I want you to think about this. Think about all of the things, just real quick. Think about all of the things that you believe. So you believe dirt, talking snake, Jonah, resurrection of the dead. You believe all those things. Now listen, think about this for a second. So you're telling me you believe that God can split the Red Sea, but he can't take care of your rent. You believe that God can resurrect dead marriages, but he can resurrect dead bodies, but not dead marriages. Are you kidding me? What we're seeing here, this is what we're seeing. We are seeing right here, you you are, listen. Listen. You are not afraid because God is asleep on you. You are afraid because you are asleep on God. That's what's happened. So one, you can doubt his power over the storm. Now listen, number two, you can doubt his commitment to you in the storm. Now remember, I said this earlier. Do you know why Jesus was angry when he wakes up from this nap? He was not angry because they woke him up from a nap and asked him a dumb question. He was saying, listen, you have permission to wake me up. You do not have permission to pretend like I don't care. That's what he's saying, okay? Now, um, you may never have noticed this about this passage before. This is one of my favorite parts of the passage. Bible scholars for centuries have noticed that there is an almost direct parallel between Mark chapter four and Jonah chapter one. Have you guys ever noticed this? So remember, in Jonah one, the story is almost the exact same. Bunch of people in a boat. There comes a sudden great storm. In both stories, the central figure is asleep in the boat. In both stories, the passengers wake them up. They even, listen, they even use the same language. In both stories, they say, we are perishing. And in both stories, God calms the storm suddenly and miraculously. Do you know what the one big difference is? In Jonah 1, they calm the storm by tossing Jonah over the side into the ocean. But in Mark 4, Jesus just speaks a word. Why the difference? Why is Jesus not tossed into the ocean and into the storm? Or is he? See, it's really interesting. Um, Throughout the Bible, the ocean is a symbol of God's judgment and wrath, okay? So, for instance, uh, you remember the story of Noah. In Noah's story, God's wrath is when the ocean covers the earth, Um, In the book of Revelation, this is why all of the evil empires rise out of the ocean because it's a symbol of God's wrath. This is also why in the book of Revelation, it says that in the new heavens, there won't be any seas anymore. Uh, Some of you don't like that. That doesn't mean there won't be any beaches. What it means is that there won't be any of God's wrath. Now, do you understand what I'm driving at? Was Jesus tossed into the ocean? Yeah, he was. Because in just a few chapters, Jesus was going to walk up to a cross. And he was going to hurl himself into the very depths of the ocean of God's wrath. And he was going to do that for you so that every storm you ever experience would be calmed. Do you understand? You, you have no idea God's commitment to you in the storm of your life. Okay? You have no idea. My favorite passage, Romans 8 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Uh, a lot of people have a lot of, there's a lot of coffee cup verses in Romans 8. But I feel like nobody understands what the best verse in Romans 8 is. The best verse in Romans 8 is not Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, the best verse in Romans 8 is not even Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to, according to his purpose. The best verse in Romans 8 comes to the end and it says this. For he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. Will he not with him graciously give us all things? Guys, God has given you his son, his only son. Do you not believe that he will give you whatever you need to get you through whatever storm that you are in? He is so utterly committed to you in the storm that he was willing to die for you. He will see you through the storm. So listen, that's where your fear comes from. It is either doubting his power over or doubting his commitment in. Now listen, here's why some of you are freaking out right now. Even while I'm preaching this sermon right now, there's something in your head that's going, man, Josh, but there's something that does not compute. Here's what doesn't compute. I don't see anything happening in my life right now. I have this huge storm happening in my life. I see absolutely nothing happening in my life. Well, listen, the reason that's confusing to you is because you don't understand how God saves He doesn't just save in one way, he saves in two, okay? And and here's what they are. One, sometimes God does save you from the storm. There are times in your life where, listen, here's how this works, where Jesus will, in a miraculous way, peer over the side of your life and whisper to the storm in your life, peace be still, and it will be calm. Now listen, let, let me give you guys some good news. If you got a big problem in the room, let me give you some bad news and some good news. Okay, you got a really big problem in, in the room. Here, here, here's, here's bad news and good news. Here's a bad news. You got a really big problem, and you can't do anything about it. That's the bad news, okay? But here's the good news, okay? And this is what I've learned from seven years of theological studies, four years Bible college three years postgraduate work in seminary. This is just amazing insight into the Bible. I'm going to blow your minds. Here's what I've learned. Lo these many years of Bible study. Here's what I've learned. Every miracle starts with a problem. Oh yes. That is worth seven years right there of theological studies. Every miracle starts with a problem. So here's the bad news. You got a big problem that you can't do anything about. Here's the good news. You're a candidate for a miracle. Every single person in this room, you are a candidate for a miracle. I love in this story that they come and they wake Jesus up. Do you realize this? Have you ever noticed whenever Jesus is telling parables about prayer, it's always a parable about a kid waking up somebody or a widow waking up somebody? Do you know what God is saying? He's said, come wake me up. You got a problem? Come wake me up. Call on my name in prayer and see what I will do. I will open heaven for you sometimes. I will split red seas. I will speak peace be still to hurricanes. And I am the God that is on your side. So man, call on his name in prayer. And sometimes what God will do is he will save you from the storm, okay? But listen, that is not always or even the most common way that God saves us when storms come in our lives. And this is what we don't wanna hear, but it is what we need. Sometimes he saves us in the storm see sometimes god looks out at the storm and he says to the storm peace be still but sometimes jesus looks at you and he says to your soul peace be still sometimes god calms the storm and sometimes he wants to calm you in the storm you right now honestly here's a question you might have been asking this entire sermon you may be going wait a second josh so if this is true and god's so committed to us and has such a great power over all of the storms Well, then why do storms come into my life? Here's what you have to understand. There is something more important to God than you living a storm-free life. He wants you to have your feet fixed firmly on the realization of the faithfulness of your God. That's what he wants more than anything. So what he will do is he will listen. People get, listen, they get so caught up on this complex theological question. Josh, does God cause the storm Or does he in his sovereignty allow the storm? Which one is it? Does God cause it or does he allow it? Now listen, I've preached a lot of sermons on those things. I'm not even going to answer that question this morning. It confused everybody. You may be asking, did God cause this storm? Or did he allow this storm? Listen, that's not what's important right now. What's not important, it's not important. Did he cause it? Did he allow it? Here's what's important. He always uses the storm. That's what he always does. Here's what you have to understand. It's in fair weather, the fair weather seasons of life, that we enjoy God, but it's in the storms of life that we come to know God. That's when you come to know who he is. And what he does is he will allow, he will cause, he will bring a storm into your life so that you can learn the might of your God over the storm and his sustaining power in the storm. He will do that to you because he loves you, okay? Um, There's a family in our church who was in my community group about three years ago. And, uh, and they had this happen. There was a very sudden... In fact, I, I, non-ver- I without names, told his story earlier in the sermon. Uh, and that had a great year at work. Career was going really well. This man was an engineer. And then 2000, it was, there was a downturn. And, uh, and he suddenly lost his job. And for the next about two years, their story was, uh, first of all, they lost, he lost his job. And then uh, they didn't want to lose their house. And so they started dipping into their retirement to keep from losing their house. But eventually they dwindled their retirement all the way down to zero. And after losing all of their retirement, they still ended up losing their house. And uh, they were in my community group and uh, there was a community group meeting where they came in and we were um, doing prayer requests, right? And at the beginning, we just asked, what are you guys thankful for? And this family said that they were thankful for this season of their lives. And I was a little dumbfounded. I was like, I don't think you understand how prayer requests work. I don't think, you know, and I just said, well, man, guys, tell me why you say that. And this is what they said. They said, man, we lost a job and our retirement and our house, but we found God. And we are so glad that this happened to us. And you see what happened? It was in the storm that they came to know God. Now listen, if you are in a storm right now, let me tell you what you need right now, okay? When these times come, what you have to do is you've got to keep your eyes above the waves. You have got to be somebody that is focused more on the face of your Savior than on the face of the storm. You need Listen, let me say it this way. You need your eyes in the eyes of your Savior, not on the eye of the storm. That's what you need more than anything else. Now, listen, let me give you a little analogy for how this works. Um, In a past life, I got a degree in literature, and so read a a ton of literature when I was in college. There's a Robert Louis Stevenson short story that always grabbed me, Uh, and I read it when I was in college. It's a story about a bunch of sailors on a boat, and what happens is sudden storm, it's almost like Mark IV. sudden storm comes, these experienced sailors, they're freaking out. They think that they're about to die in the middle of this raging tempest. And they're huddled in the hull of the ship. And then one brave sailor wants to figure out, "Are we going to die?" And so he ventures out, you know, on this sort of the slick sea and-slick ship up to the top of the boat, and then he sort of makes his way through this tempest, towards uh, the captain of the ship who's sort of struggling with the wheel at the front of the boat. And he gets just close enough to see him, and he shouts to the captain. And the captain turns around and looks at him and smiles. And the man turns around and makes his way back into the hull of the boat, and he tells the other sailors, I have seen the face of the captain, and he smiled at me. All is well. All is well. And listen, what you have to do when this season comes into your life is you've got to peer through the storm, and you've got to see the face of the pilot. You've got to look at Jesus And soak in everything that he says is true about you. So listen, here's how this works. You have to hear his peace be still over the wind and the waves. What you've got to do right now is you've got to say, this storm is loud. I am going to be louder. You've got to take the news of the gospel and you've got to make it louder than your problems in your life. You have to begin to preach to yourself. You have to say things to yourself like, I am not alone. Gethsemane shows me that. There is someone who cares for me. The cross proves that. My future is not hopeless. The resurrection declares that. My life does matter for a purpose in this world. Pentecost proclaims that. We have to look out at the waves and tell them that their days are numbered so that even if they last until our dying breath, they will be vanquished for all of eternity while we escape to the everlasting joy of the Father's presence. So even if you never get over it, it's not permanent. Why? Because resurrection is coming. Jesus is someday going to speak, peace be still. Listen, yes, he will speak, peace be still to, it. listen, here's how it works. Sometimes he says, peace be still to the storm. Sometimes he says, peace be still to your soul. And for every Christian, there's coming a day when a loving voice of your God will say, peace be still to your mortal body. And when that happens, everything sad will come untrue and he will wipe every tear away from every eye and there will never be a storm again. And right now, what some of you need is you just right now, man, your eyes are so focused on the wind and the waves. And you just need to get up and you need to see the face of your Savior. And so right now, that's what we want to do. We want to meditate on that. We're going to sing a song that I love about this passage called Oceans. And if you could do this, if you go ahead and stand. I want to pray over you, if you could go ahead and stand. And I want to pray that God would do this in your hearts right now. And so, Father, what I pray, I pray that right now you would go ahead and begin to do a renewing work in our church I pray for hurting people who are here for whom the storm is very furious and very overwhelming. And so, God, would you please remind them of your might? Father, I pray that they would be so in awe of the power of their Savior that the storm starts to look really, really small. Father, would you please uh, have your spirit-empowered voice, even in the midst of this service as I'm praying, penetrate the chests of men and women. And speak peace, be still into hearts. Father, I pray that right now we would, have a, we would be empowered by the Holy Spirit to lift our eyes off of the storm and onto the face of our Savior. So that God, we might have the sustenance to walk through whatever this life brings. So Father, please do it. Please do this work in our midst right now. Renew us. Renew us as we gather under your name. Father, press please press the great truths of the power and the intimacy and the humanity and the tenderness of our loving Savior into our souls. Father, we love you. We commit ourselves to you in the name of Jesus, calmer of every storm. In his name we pray. Amen and amen.